Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 63. As a strength coach, off-season is the time I can help players make significant changes to their body. By getting athletes physically conditioned for the game of basketball, we can enhance their skills on the court. But with games starting in less than two weeks, players have less time and energy to devote to the weight room. So while we might not be able to make big improvements to their bodies during the season, we can make huge improvements to their leadership skills and the team's culture. If you want to learn more about basketball-specific leadership and get free access to my five-day leadership course, go to hoopcommitment.com. Each day I walk you through the three levels of leadership while you do five-minute ball handling routines with pro basketball players. Leadership is a skill that could be taught and practiced, just like shooting. And so that's why we set aside time every week to intentionally help our players become their best so they can help others become theirs. And there's not a better time than right now to start. And so that's why I thought it was timely to bring on today's guest. Dan Horowitz is a basketball coach turned leadership consultant who just published his first book, Help Them Up, 14 Principles to Educate, Energize, and Empower Your Team to Build a Championship Culture. The book was written specifically for basketball players and coaches. And so, of course, I had to have him on the podcast to find out how we can start implementing these principles today. Here's Dan Horowitz. Dan, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited. We got to be friends over this past year, and we've been kind of bouncing ideas back off each other. And so it's really cool to see you finally published your book. So I'd love to find out about that process, your basketball story, and what inspired you to write Help Them Up? Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me. And you know, I just love listening to all your uh, guests that you have on. So for me, my basketball journey, I was uh, 10 years old and I told my mom I wanted to play college basketball. And at that point, you're kind of watching the ESPN and seeing those guys play and you're like, you want that to be you. I and mean, I grew up in Connecticut. So I was hoping, you know, as I got older, Jim Calhoun, the head coach at UConn at the time was going to be in the gym and offered me a full scholarship. But uh, unfortunately, that never happened. <laughs> and so I had to, you know, think about, is this really what I want to do? And the answer was yes. So I reached out to 150 colleges, division three and two, 10 coaches responded. And then three came and watched me play. And one said yes. And that was Newberry College. And I think it was the best decision I I could have made. It was right in Boston. And the people there were just amazing from my teammates to the other athletes and other teams. And then the faculty, still friends with the security guards and, you know, my academic advisor and, and just all those great people. So I loved it. It was a small school with a big heart, as we like to call it, and um, a really good experience for me. And then in regard to the book, for the basketball aspect at Newberry, we weren't the best team. We went 13 and 87 in four years. So that 10-year-old Dan had to really think about, if, you know, is this what you want to do? I mean, the answer again was yes, but it wasn't as easy as I had thought. So our second game of my college career, we played Amherst College, and they were coming off national championship for the Division Three uh, conference. So I was like, wow, this is Division Three basketball. <laughs> and uh, they were 6'5 across the board besides their point guard, who was D3 player of the year. 
And I was like, wow. And so after that, I just started studying just all the best teams. So Amherst was obviously a great team. And then being in Boston, we had Harvard and Tufts and Northeastern and Boston College, just all these great teams. And they all welcomed me in. And I got to just pick their brain, whether it was a practice, uh, individual session or a camp. And I just love to be in a sponge. And I know you've talked about being a fly on the wall. And I just love to just be a fly on the wall and learn as much as I could. And then there was USA Basketball Youth Development Clinic. So I went to all those and learned from some great coaches. I got to volunteer at the NCA tournament games and be behind the scenes with like Jay Wright and Villanova and Chris Beard, Texas Tech. And I was just picking up so many little things that didn't require any talent. And it was just cool to be behind the scenes at the highest level. And I just took the 14 principles that were the most consistent, put them into a book. And, you know, here we are and hoping it just adds value to other players and coaches. So what is a championship culture? Obviously, it's more than just winning games. What does it entail? A championship culture, I think, is based on relationships. You know, I think it's something that you're great at and you, everybody knows that you care about them. And I think that's the most important thing is as a coach, your players know that you care about them as people and not just as players. And when you do that, it kind of sets the tone for the type of environment you're going to create. So if you take the 14 principles in my book as your foundation of the culture and you kind of you basically create that environment, I think four things will happen. One, every player will feel safe. Every player will feel valued. Every player will have a voice. And then every player will have joy playing the game of basketball. And I just think that's, you know, basically you do all of those things, then the scoreboard will probably be in your team's favor more times than not. Have you noticed teams that win that don't have a championship culture? In my experience, I think teams can win without the principles that I discuss. But I don't think every player on that team is having an enjoyable and meaningful experience. So I think, you know, those five to eight players in the rotation are probably enjoying winning and it's working for them. But how about those seven other players on the team that don't feel valued and don't feel like they can speak up? And I think 15 brains is better than one. If the only voice is the, the head coaches and players can't speak up, especially when it's like you could be a bench player and have a great basketball mind. Like, I know I love your story. Like you had to work so hard for everything that you got. And it's like, coach, I like the way they're guarding the ball screen. Like, I think we can score this way. And if you felt comfortable to speak up, then that's great. But a lot of these kids probably don't. And I think you can get great ideas from anyone. So I just think it's important when coaches really create that environment where people can speak up. And what about a team that maybe doesn't focus on their culture and they have a certain winning percentage? In your heart, do you believe that by including these 14 principles into your program, that that's going to elevate not just the experience of the players, but also the win-loss record? Yeah, I think two things. I think one, everybody's going to enjoy the experience more, but I do think that teams will win more. I think a lot of teams probably do some of these things. Like, for example, when a team gets a shooting foul, either against them or for them. I think when teams huddle up, whether they're just basically participating in positive talk, empowering each other, or making a joke just to get everybody going and, and stay connected, those things are important. I think some teams might huddle up, but it's not consistent. Are you huddling up when you're losing by 25? Or are you only doing it when you're winning? So I think the teams probably are aware of a lot of these things, but are they doing it every single time? And are they having conversations to explain why it's so important to do that? We've seen that here. I really believe that the offseason is such a great time to get athletes stronger, improve their shot, work on their handles. But once season starts, I don't know if you get significantly stronger. You're not going to jump significantly higher once season starts, but you can get more significantly connected. And I really believe that's the difference between average teams and great teams is the way that people connect together. And so when I was reading your book, I don't know if you can actually ever do a research study to find that teams win more, but to me, it's kind of common sense. And then the other piece is you don't have anything to lose. You know, I think as we start thinking about how are we going to spend time in practice, 
all the suggestions that you gave were so great because you're already doing drills. Might as well just do a couple of tweaks in there to make them not only improve your skill set, but improve the team chemistry. Absolutely. And you know, I love to hear that. And I know you're big on this and you talk about being intentional with your leadership system. And you've told me this word for word, but you know, if you spend five or 10 minutes, three times a week with your team, think about how much intentional leadership that is over a season and then over a four-year career, like it's exponential. And like I said, those are your words, not mine. So I'm not taking credit for that. But that's just amazing because it's like, I think those things add up to being successful on the scoreboard, but also more so people are going to enjoy the experience more. And I think how many times do you have a next play mentality have to happen in the game of basketball opposed to spending 20 minutes on a baseline out of bounds play? Like maybe you get three a game, but there's like probably, I'm not going to pick a number, but there's a lot of times where you might turn the ball over and not make a shot and you have to respond to that play. And that happens a lot more times than I think running some offense or defensive sets. Well, I think the beauty of your book is you have a lot of examples that don't require any more time. And I think about well, one of your first principles, you talked about warmups and every team is doing warmups. Not everyone's intentional with it. So can you tell me about some of the nuggets that people might be able to take away and implement into their training system at the beginning of practice? Yeah. Well, like I said, I love to be a sponge and love to learn. And UConn Women's Basketball is one of the top teams in the country every year. And I went to a two-hour practice practice, but the first 15 minutes of practice were the thing that stuck with me the most and compare it to a choreographed dance routine because they were like in sync, like one through 15, they were going sideline to sideline and they were doing high knees and every single player was in complete unison with all their teammates. You know, they had some terminology that they used, but for people that are listening that kind of want to incorporate it, for example, there could be a leader of the day. It could be Dan, hey, you're the leader. So I yell high knees and then everybody else yells high knees and like a loud, powerful voice. And then I'd yell go. And then you do high knees to the sideline and you stop, turn around, butt kicks and everybody yells butt kicks. And then I yell go. And then you go butt kicks back. And yeah, you're looking left and right to make sure you're not going too fast or too slow. And then a cool thing that they did was a hamstring stretch where you kind of put your, your toe up and you're kind of scooping. So one of the players would yell vanilla and everybody yelled scoop. And then a few steps and then, the, and then she would yell strawberry. They go scoop. And they just were all laughing, smiling. And I know you talk about just smiling all the time. And, you know, I've heard like win the smile battle. So like during a game, like you smile more, you know, there's a good chance you're having fun and you're relaxed. So I just think all that stuff adds up. The other thing is when, if you're in a circle for static stretching, I think counting as a team is really important because if everybody's counting, that gets rid of all the side conversation. So if everybody counts to 10 and then you end with a clap or something like that, that's a good way to get everybody engaged from the start of practice and shows that everybody adds value to the team. Yeah, Gino seems like he does a great job with all the things that are not dribbling, shooting, passing. You know, I listened to one of his interviews and he talked about watching the bench and how intentional he is with people giving high fives and encouraging others. How important is physical touch and encouragement have you found in successful culture? Yeah, well, I think touch is so powerful. Like I think I posted about my social media, but I just, I miss hugging my favorite people. You know, I just miss giving them those big hugs and it just makes you feel good. And I think for touches, you know, Steve Nash done a ton of studies, but Steve Nash, two-time NBA MVP, and he was a great teammate, always giving high fives, pat on the backs. And there are studies that show that teams that touch more win more and that players that touch more usually have better stats. So, you know, I think a great thing for all teams to do is make sure that they do that in a way to implement that 
is say, you know, you're the coach, Mike, and you say, guys, today we're going to do 100 high fives. So that means that doesn't mean you and I give each other 100 high fives, but there's many opportunities where you pass four or five, six of your teammates in a, a shooting drill, a layup drill, and you can give them all high fives. So the goal of that day could be 100, and then you just make sure that you're being intentional. It's fun. And one thing I think is really important is when I play pickup, like I really try to do touches because you don't know these people super well. But I'm curious for you. I know you've talked about your pickup that you guys do, you know, every weekend. And I know times are a little bit different now, but are you guys really big? big on giving the high fives and pats on the back when you guys play? Oh, 100%. I think those things are really what gel a team together. And one of the things that my mentors always talks about is point talk touch. And I think the talk is so important. The touch is so important. But right now in today's environment, it's a little harder to do the physical touch piece. And so I really like the idea of point. And you mentioned in your book as well, that idea of someone makes a great pass. One way to give them encouragement is through the high five or the hug. Another one is a simple point. And I think about it speaks volumes about what your team culture is like when the person scoring is highlighting the person that gave the assist. So tell me about that. Have you seen that in other championship teams? Yeah, I think North Carolina is a team I used to highlight it. And I think Dean Smith is the one that kind of made it a, a big thing with their culture. I think pointing to the passer does one really important thing and it includes more people in the scoring play. So if I'm driving baseline and I try really hard to get you open and then you make the basket and then you run down the court, look at me holding up three pointers and all that stuff. It has that me, me, me mindset. Whereas you're like, hey, great pass, Dan. It makes me want to do it again, you know, and it makes you probably want to drive and get me an open shot. And another thing that teams do, it's called the hockey assist, is where if I drove baseline pass to you and you're a great shooter and you have a good shot, but our other teammate, Ben, is on the wing and he has a great shot and he yells one more and then you give him the one more pass because he has a great shot. Then I, you know, some teams will track. I started it. I was two passes away. You got the assist and Ben made the basket. And that's three out of five people that just got credit. And that's, I think, the best thing about team sports is that we're all successful and we're all working hard for each other. It's amazing what can happen when everybody gets to celebrate, not just one person to score. And I think I'm a little sensitive to that because I was not a scorer in college. I think I averaged three points my senior year. And I started every game. But what was really fun for me was if it was just who scored the most points, I might have felt a little down about my performance. But because I was able to have my teammates celebrate when I took a charge or got a rebound or celebrate someone diving on the floor or the hockey assist. I love that. The pass that led to the assist. I think it just makes winning so much more fun because you can win and not have a good time. You could win and just can't wait for the season to be over and get out of the locker room or leave the gym. Or you could be like it is with my Sunday hoops, which is we finish playing and no one wants to leave. We all love our families, but we just love sitting around telling stories because we love being together. And I think it has a lot to do with the high fives. It has to do with the pointing. The, the third thing, point, talk, touch. Tell yeah. me about the talk piece because kind of sprinkled throughout the whole book is the importance of positive talk, not just to other people, but to yourself. In terms of the positive talk, I just, you know, you and I are both pretty energetic guys and, and love being around sports and people that have positive energy. So I think it's important that say you walk in the gym that day and you're a little bit down and not like, hey, Dan, you're just kind of like, hey, what's up? Like, I can tell that you're not, maybe you're having a little bit down day. So I can say, hey, what's up, Mike? Like, how's it going? You can tell me what's going on. And it shows that I care about you. And hopefully I can lift your spirits. And the book is called Help Them Up. And I know it's physically or that's, you know, maybe picking somebody up from a bad day that they're having. So I think positive talk, whether you're in warm ups, whether you're on the bench during a game or even in the game, like I got your back. You know, say there's a player that's guarding the ball and you're calling out ball screens and you're just communicating to your teammates like at a high level. That just shows that you care about them because you don't want them to run into a hard screen. You know what I mean? And then next time down the court or during a timeout or something, they can be like, hey, thanks for calling that out. Just because you're communicating on a really high level. 
And when you do that, a championship level teams communicate at extremely high level. Their words, they're really intentional with the words they use. How do the coaches fit into this? Because I could see the importance of players being positive with themselves and positive with each other. A lot of times at the high division one level, you see the coaches, especially during the heat of the battle, you know, they don't have smiles on their face. They're intense, mm-hmm. scowling. They're probably barking a lot of commands. Have you noticed that championship cultures, coaches participate in the positive talk as well? Yeah, from my experience, I think coaches can get away with not always being, you know, extremely positive and they believe that whatever, however they're behaving is helping their team to be, you know, to reach their full potential. I think it's important that assistant coaches are very positive as well as the teammates, but I really do believe that teams model the behavior of their head coach. So they're always watching and a coach communicates to their players that they can trust each other, that they respect each other and that they care about one another. I really think great things can happen. And it's really important that coaches, you know, the way they're communicating to not just their players and the coaches, but how about the fans and the referees and alumni, whoever it may be a part of the program, like players are always watching you. And I like to call that 24-7 leadership, where you're always being watched. And what if you see your coach at the grocery store and maybe they're yelling at somebody for for whatever reason, like that's not appropriate behavior, but your players are watching that. And it's funny because if you see coaches that are yelling at the refs, what are their players doing in the game? Same exact thing. And the players that are cool, calm, and collected, you know, the two-team Tufts University women's basketball, they're the top team in the country, uh, number two going into NCAA term this year. And their coaches just so calm. And the players, they're the same exact way. And then you see another team. And honestly, if your coach is pretty calm and then you look over the other side and that coach is yelling at the refs, you know, I can kind of probably pick who's going to win that game more, more times than not. Sometimes I like to think about a basketball staff as one person. You know, you might have head coach, three assistants. And Leon Rice, who's at Boise State, he was my old college coach. And he said that when he was getting his staff, he tried to find people that weren't necessarily like him because his personality is pretty lighthearted. It's funny. He's a rah-rah guy. But he felt like kind of like you need both parents. Maybe you need the soft, sweet parent and you might need the parent that's going to drop the hammer. And those roles can definitely change. But he wanted to make sure that he didn't have to change as a head coach because as an assistant coach, he was always the fun assistant coach. And so I asked him, well, how did you change now that you're the head coach? And he said, well, I found assistants that were had different personalities that could be a little more strict or demanding of the players. And so I kind of like that role, which would be is we have four coaches that are able to communicate. Maybe they could play to their own strengths, but if you have everyone that's soft or everyone that's really demanding and challenging, you might not be able to get that full experience. Yeah, well, a question that that I have for you is you were obviously a very self-motivated player and loved making plays for your teammates. But I think we all have that that one coach that really kind of kept us going and was in our corners or something or some qualities that a coach that you had when you were at Gonzaga that you think really add value to players. I think especially early on, that was so important. You know, when I was a senior, I don't know if you need a whole lot of the patting on the back because you have this confidence that comes with being in the battle and having your teammates and being successful. Boy, when I was a walk-on redshirt freshman, I didn't have that. So any kind of negative criticism that I got from a coach really ate at me. And so having those even grad assistants, you know, third assistants that when I would just get reamed out by the coach that will pull me aside and be like, hey, you're doing a great job. This is what the coach is saying. You got to tweak these few things. That's what really kept me going. I don't know if I needed that as much when I was a senior coach could read me out and I'd say, okay, let's go. 
because I think I had that three or four years prior of experience of success that I could kind of lean on. But I think, boy, those first couple of years, you're pretty fragile. You're moving away from home. You're missing your parents. You are already the best player in your league. So you're used to kind of being the guy. And now you're just one of the guys. That's a tough transition. No, but it's great that you realize that they had such a big impact on you. Like you said, I think you are a little bit more vulnerable and kind of need that positive reinforcement. And then as you get older, you're kind of like, okay, I know how everything operates. And I can kind of grab somebody and, you know, put them my arm around them and pick them up and you just kind of continue to pay it forward. I love that. And I think it doesn't have to be a coach. It can be a player. I think about a couple of the seniors or not even the seniors, but just some of the guys that were getting significant minutes that might have just said one or two kind things to me, one little pat on the back, you know, when I made a mistake. And boy, those go a long way. Like you mentioned, you can have a good team with five guys being on the same page. But if you have all 10, 15 people pulling the rope in the same direction, practices are that much more competitive. If you lose a couple of guys because they check out, you might not see it in the games, but where you really get better is in practice. And if you don't have all those guys bought in, giving their all, I think you're going to leave in some games on the table throughout the season. Absolutely. And I love how you put that because if that 15th guys or girls is just giving everything they have in practice and with their positive talk, their touches, they're playing hard, they're making people you know work hard and get the best of everybody. Then the game day, like you said, somebody takes a charge. I'm pretty sure you told me, I think you guys yell, let's go. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, that's our saying. Yeah, yeah, let's go. So, like, I love it. When somebody takes a charge, like, the most selfless thing that a player can do. And you have every player on the bench standing up and yelling for them. Like, it makes you want to take a charge because you're going to get that type of reaction. So, if you can just, you know, implement things like that, take require no talent at all. I just think that it's going to be fun. And yes, you want to win, but like just the experience, you're going to remember those moments a lot more than the record. So you have a chapter in there on the importance of gratitude before games. And that's one of our core values here at Gonzaga. I'd love to hear what gratitude means to you and how you'd actually show that before games. Yeah, so there's uh, two ways I kind of explain it. One is just before a game, like when you go out there, I think you should be playing for something more than yourself. I think you should be playing for your teammates and your coaches, but also the people that helped you get there. And you know, one thing I want to share, not to be sad about it, but my dad passed away when I was going into my senior year of my college career or my college season. And, uh, you know, he was always so outgoing, energetic, positive energy, and just like one of the best people and, and I guess teammates you can call him. And so when I would go out on that court, like I knew I was playing for something bigger than myself because I knew he was there supporting me, you know, and, and that meant so much to me and all my coaches and friends that helped, you know, practice with me in the summers and things like that. So uh, just thinking about those things, I think, gives teams an extra layer of strength and determination. But also during the national anthem, I've seen, you know, it's it's interesting now. Some players are choosing to stand, some are choosing to kneel, and everybody's entitled to represent however they want to. But it is a tough time, so I think it's important for teams to have conversations about those things and see if they want to lock arms during the national anthem or hold hands. And, you know, I, like I said, it's an interesting time to see what everybody's doing. But I was wondering if you guys at Gonzaga – kind of how you guys are going to approach that this season. Oh boy, now that's that's a tough one. I think we have a good game plan for it though. Our coaching staff is really intentional. This has been on our radar for a long time. And one of our core values here is inclusion. And it's the truth on our basketball team that we don't just tolerate uh, differences. We celebrate differences. We know that if we have five all-league point guards on the floor at one time, 
we're probably not going to be very good. Or if we have five all-league centers on the court at one time, we're not going to be very good. It doesn't matter how great the player is. We need that diversity on the court. You need small, quick players. You need you know big, strong players. You need shooters. You need defenders. You need slashers. And instead of looking at a defensive specialist and picking them apart for what they can't do, we celebrate what they can do. And so that's a common theme no matter what your basketball style is, what your background, what your race, what your sexual preference is. We celebrate those differences because we know that's what makes a great team. It's not everyone being the same, but everyone bringing their own unique talents. And so one of the things that we say is, tell me more. And so that's how we're handling the conversation with where people are going to stand or where they're going to kneel. Instead of coming and trying to tell you what I think is right, I could say, tell me more. What's your opinion on this? And one of the core values that I live by is you can't love someone unless you understand them. And once you understand someone, you can't help but love them. And so I think if we can all be able to be in a safe environment where we can say, tell me more, and we can learn about people's histories, their backgrounds, their beliefs, we're probably going to be able to understand them more and appreciate those decisions. And then after we're able to do that as individuals, we can be able to come together as a group and figure out how we do it at Gonzaga because how we do it here is going to be different than every other program because we're made of all these different unique backgrounds. So we're in the middle of it right now. We just finished our first week of inclusion. We have a week two starts today. So it'll be a fun journey for us. Yeah, and I love that. You know, I think when you're talking about that, I just think about everyone being a small piece to a magnificent puzzle. If you find ways to let everybody fit in and highlight their strengths and learn about their backgrounds and what makes them know them, it's just so powerful. And you step on the court and you're like, we got this, like we got each other's backs and we're going to give it our best shot. And that's just, you know, the best part about being on a team. Have you seen uh, an NBA team? Uh, We haven't really got to see college teams this year, but this has been going on for a while. So, of course, the NFL was the most publicized last year. Have you seen a way that a team did it that really spoke to you? For like the national anthem? Yep. Yeah. I don't know what game it was for the NBA playoffs, but I think everyone was kneeling and they all had their arms hooked, you know, locked together. And I just think that they were united front. I like to talk about that, just being united, staying connected. And, you know, we can all, like you said, respect each other and however you want to, you know, stand or kneel. But just as long as you guys are know that at the end of the day in the locker room and on the court, you guys have each other's back no matter what. That's the most important. thing. It seems like the common theme in your book is going to be the communication piece, everyone being on the same page, the players buying in and being intentional, the coaches buying in and being intentional. What the programs that you really admire that you've kind of dug into, are they doing all 14 of these principles? It's a great question. And I think a lot of them do these things, maybe not exactly how I explain them in the book, but I think in some way, shape or form, they are doing them. Are they doing them consistently every single time that I don't know? You know, I think like the touches is something that you can kind of see from an outside perspective. You can see if they're helping them up and all four players sprint over and, and help their team up off the floor. But in terms of the communication stuff and how they communicate with each other on a daily basis, you don't get to see that. It's just basically on game day from an outside perspective. But having talked to some of the coaches in the book, it sounds like it really is a a team effort. And in terms of like communication, everybody can speak up and add value to the team. Uh, I do like to talk uh, about the accountability circle, which is I learned from a coach Mintegna Blair Academy. And that's just a pretty much at the end of a practice, we get in a circle, could be at half court or in the locker room and everybody is can put their arms around each other, they hold hands, whatever you want to do, or just be close to one another. You can make eye contact. And it's a time to praise everybody and say, in college for me, I started a few games and then I would sat on the bench the next game and played zero minutes. And obviously we lost a good amount. So you're trying different things, which is fine. 
but what can, you know, that player that doesn't play a ton, how can we praise them for their behavior during that day? So the most important thing with the accountability circle is that the coach expresses that this is a safe space and what's said in the circle stays in the circle. It's just a time for feedback for everybody. So I can say, hey, Mike, you know, you're one of our best players and this is the advance. So the first version of it is just to praise every behavior that as a coach and as teammates that you want from your team. And then once you get past that and progress, I can say, hey, Mike, you're one of our best players, but you didn't call out a back screen today and we got scored on. And then, you know, there's a few times you missed a box out. You're the guy you were guarding and got the ball and scored. And we know you're capable of doing these things. And for us to be a championship level program, we need to make sure that you do that consistently. That's the next level thing. That's me telling you, you know, a teammate to teammate that your behavior as a basketball player is not at the standard that we want it to be at. And hopefully you don't take it personally. If I said something that wasn't accurate or the coach didn't agree with, I can say, hey, Dan, I understand what you're saying, but I don't agree with that. And this is why, you know, sometimes I might say something that's not the best way to communicate it. But as long as you're, you know, you have that safe environment where you're just the only purpose of the accountability circle is to just get better as a team and as individuals. You know, that seems like a really delicate balance of being able to give constructive feedback and also keeping that circle tight and positive and people feeling good about each other. And I think if you're able to do that, if you're able to have a culture where you're inviting feedback, you know, we have, I'm a small business owner and our, our business called U District PT, and we call them go moments for their growth opportunities, GO, go moments. Yeah. And so it's a, a way to be able to kind of set something up nice and softly, like, hey, Dan, when you got a minute later on, I would love to chat with you. I got a little go moment for you. And so it's not something negative that, hey, I'm upset with you. It's just, hey, that's the kind of culture we want to have, which is we all want to grow. We want to be our best. And I want to be in a position where if someone has, sees my blind spot and can help me with it and help me grow, I want to hear from it too. Really difficult to do because I think all of us uh, have that little piece of defensiveness and fragileness about us that we might not want to be able to hear that we made a mistake. But I think if you can get to that point, if people are saying, yeah, the whole reason I come to practice is because I want to practice. I want to get better. I'm, I'm not perfect. Well, I think that could be a special squad if you're able to get to that spot. Well, I love the go moment. That's awesome. I think I'm going to steal that from you. And uh, I saw this, you know, be very successful. I coached uh, the eighth and ninth grade group at Syracuse basketball camp. And it's really cool how they do it. So it's a five-day camp and you have tryouts for, I want to say, three hours. So one through 100, a list of it, and you get to pretty much evaluate each kid. And any kid's really fast and is trying really hard with their effort, I give them a check mark. If a kid is communicating on defense, check mark. If they box out, check mark. Help a teammate up off the ground, check mark. And I just get 10 kids that just have great work ethic and just love the game of basketball. Maybe the kid that runs full speed down the court and bricks the ball off the backboard. Maybe nobody took 10 minutes to teach him how to slow down and score. I'm like, I can work with that. You can't teach speed, but I can teach you a layup. So I get 10 kids like that. And I coached there for a bunch of years. My twin brother was a manager and then the grad assistant. So I worked at camp a ton, but it was so cool to see you play three games a day. And after the first game, we meet as in the circle, we sit down and the kids, you know, I say, what do we do well? And anybody can talk. Uh, we say, well, what can we improve on? And everybody shares what they want. And then we go around and say, Mike, what can you do better? And you say, coach, I didn't box out well today. Say, okay, well, this, that's the only time for the next five days you can say that because you were vulnerable. You acknowledged where you kind of let the team down and that's okay, but make sure that you improve and you box out for the rest of the week. And the coolest thing happened, man, like the next day. So this is probably the, after the fourth game. It's only, it's been probably less than, you know, 48 hours. And one kid, and this happened multiple times, said, coach, it feels like we've been playing with each other for months. 
and like my heart got you know happy and i was like that's why because they were creating an environment where within those few days where each kid's saying 10 to 12 things that they need to do better that they can control every time like my shot selection or my communication and so i seen it work and the kids just love being able to speak up and shout out their teammates like oh like, Ben, you did an awesome job diving on the ground today. And then they're like, well, now I want to dive on the ground because somebody's going to shout me out. And that environment, it was just so fun. And I love those kids. And I've seen it happen a few times. So I, I think it'll be really cool to kind of hear the feedback that if coaches do implement that. So tell me, out of all the 14 principles, where would you start if you're a coach listening to this saying, I want to start improving my culture? What's one piece of advice? What's one drill? What's one principle that you'd have them focus on? Well, I love the accountability circle. I think that's a great place to start. Just hearing multiple voices. And as a coach, I think the great thing is that your players are going to start sharing things that you would have said anyways, because they know that you want them to talk on defense and set screens and pick each other up, give each other high five. Like, so they're going to start sharing things that you would have said anyways. And it means a lot more to their teammates coming from another teammate than it does from you, in my opinion. So I think that's a great one. And like you said, a lot of these things can kind of be worked into a practice. Like somebody falls over, you don't need to necessarily set that up. But I actually have a coaching friend that's a G League head coach. And he told me, he's like, hey, Dan, like, you know, our team wasn't doing that. So we set time aside for 10, 20 minutes. And we practiced helping each other up off the ground. And we explained why that was important. And that's a high level of basketball. So, you know, I was like, wow, like teams really do implement these things and take the time to talk about why they're important. Everybody wants to know the why these days. And uh, I think, you know, just showing your mutual support for each other and all the great things about team sports can be implemented, you know, one principle at a time, but it's really just wherever they think that, you know, they can improve starting from warmups. That doesn't take any talent, maybe 10 minutes of explaining it. And for the rest of the season, you don't got to talk about it again. So well, I remember practicing as a player here at Gonzaga, we would do a charge drill and we only had to do one, but we made sure everyone knew how to square up, taking the chest, how to be able to use the other player's massive momentum to throw yourself back, scream, you know. And then we had all the players run over to you and help you up. It's so powerful because you can't expect athletes to know what to do if they've never done it before. And so if that's what practice is for, be able to say, this is how we do it on the court. Now, for the players, what's one thing that you would say they could take away from this and be responsible for? Because bottom line is, the coaches really can't create the cultures. It has to be everyone bought into it. I had to pick one. I think for in terms of the success on the scoreboard, I don't talk about winning a lot because I truly believe, you know, the 14 principles will help add up to winning on the scoreboard. And yes, there's a talent aspect, but if there's one thing that a player can just do in the game, I would say it's just next play mentality where you go up for a shot, you get hit really hard. They don't call a foul for whatever reason. Instead of taking your time to jog back or to yell at the ref, you just sprint back as fast as you can. You call out and point who you're guarding. You get in a defensive stance. You talk through the whole play, and then you finish with a box out, and then you sprint back down the other end of the court. If you got five players that do that every single time, like you're going to be a really tough team to score on, and you're going to create a lot of scoring opportunities. And I think a player that on a fast break that just sprints full speed down the court and makes the defender pick them up, even if they weren't even looking for the ball, just to get the attention away from the ball handler. Like that, just as important as the player who got to go score the wide open layup because somebody had to pick them up and guard them. I know it sounds a little you know, crazy just sprinting back and forth, you know, but if T players do that and they're just relentless in the pursuit of getting a stop and then sprinting the floor, spacing out, and then just playing the game of basketball, like, great things are going to happen. And my older brother coached our eighth grade travel team, local team. Uh, he was a seventh grade coach. And I mentioned it in the book and they lost like six or seven games. 
And they, they caught three kids the following year. And those kids just didn't buy into the team first mentality. Got three new kids that just kind of just as I described, great team guys, just wanted to be a part of it and work hard. And they ended up losing one game. And like, it was just so fun to watch. And I've seen the results of the principles. I was like, I got to share this. Like that was like the final straw. I was like, I, you know, I've been learning from all these amazing people like yourself. And I still have like five pages of notes from the one phone call you and I had, because like, that was so nice of you to take 30 minutes. I remember vividly like being at my desk when I was coaching in the division three school I was at. And like, you just took the time to share with me. I'm like, I have this information. It doesn't take any talent. So let me just put it out there and hopefully coaches and players. And the cool thing is it's not just basketball. I've heard that football coaches, a few of them have reached out, lacrosse coaches, and want me to speak with their team via Zoom and stuff. And it's just, I never thought the impact it could have on team sports, but I'm just so grateful that, you know, there's people like you that are great leaders and kind of figured it out and are just sharing it to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, thank you. I feel the same about you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing to contribute to the basketball community. I know how difficult it is to write a book, so Help Them Up is going to be just a great gift that you give to everyone. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, so on Twitter, my name is Dan Horowitz once, the D-A-N-H-O-R-W-I-T-Z and the number one. And then my website is www.danhorowitz.com. Thank you so much for all your time. Thank you for a copy of the book. I read it this weekend. It was awesome. And I can't wait to connect soon. Thank you, Mike. And yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, just like you, you know, for me, I'm always willing to pay it forward and help in any way I can. Now that's a wrap on episode 63. And if you haven't already, go to hoopcommitment.com and get access to your free leadership course. It will not only help you become your best on the court, but also off the court. And all of you who are committed will earn your X.